0: Here with you tonight. I truly, truly enjoy doing this, and I really hope you are um, still enjoying the readings. If you wasn't, I guess you wouldn't be coming back, right? Um, (laughs) Even though I didn't read the Scarlet Letter. Um, the last episode, I read one of my favorite authors, Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven, so make sure you go back and listen to that. I like to break things up a little bit so, you know, it doesn't become so boring or, or dull. So, tonight, I am going to continue with Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter. Yay. (laughs) So this is part three. If you have not printed out your copies or looked up on the web the the story, the part three, Then go ahead, take a minute to do that, and I'm just going to pause to give you a second to get the um, reading material, if you would like, or if you don't, if you're washing dishes or, like, I wish I was soaking in a nice hot bubble bath with a glass of wine by your side. Um, That's fine. I am your reader, so I will read it to you. If you're not able to follow follow along, Um, my disclaimer again, as I always say, everything that I read is either in the public domain or I have express written permission from the author. Excuse me, this is a shame. My voice is going out already and I have about 30 minutes of reading to get through. okay so I hope everyone has their copy now and without further ado I know you're here for the story and not to hear me talk so I um oh I'm sorry let me get back to my disclaimer <laughs> everything is in the public domain Um, or either I have expressed written permission from the publisher or the author to read something or I could quite possibly read something of my own Um, and also I am not a professional at this so and I have my little southern twang sometimes so excuse that I hope it adds a little charm the readings, <laughs> but if not, you know, just I hope it's relaxing for you, um, so with that being said, sometimes I will need to sing Paul's break, take a moment, and take a sip of water um, so that I may continue reading, alright, so without further ado, let's get to it. Okay, the Scarlet Letter, Chapter Three, the Recognition. From this intense consciousness of being the object of severe and universal observation, the wearer of the scarlet letter was at length relieved by discerning on the outskirts of the crowd a figure which irresistibly took possession of her thoughts. An Indian in his native garb was standing there, but the red men were not so infrequent visitors of the English settlements that one of them would have attracted any notice from Hester Prynne. At such a time much less would much less would he have excluded all other objects and ideas from her mind. By the Indian's side, and in evidently sustaining a companionship with him, stood a white man, clad in a strange disarray of civilized and savage costume. He was small in stature, with a de visage, which, as yet, could hardly be termed aged. There was a remarkable intelligence in his features as of a person who had so cultivated his mental part that it could not fail to mold the physical to itself and become manifest by unmistakable tokens, although by a seemingly careless arrangement of his heterogeneous garb he had endeavored to conceal or abate the peculiarity, it was sufficiently evident to Hester Prynne that one of this man's shoulders rose higher than the other. Again, at the first instant of perceiving that thin visage and the slight deformity of the figure, she pressed her infant to her bosom with so convulsive a that the poor babe uttered another cry of pain, but the mother did not seem to hear it. At his arrival in the marketplace, and some time before she saw him, the stranger had bent his eyes on Hester Prynne. It was curiously at first, like a man chiefly accustomed to look inward, and to whom external matters are of little value and import. Unless they bear relation to something within his mind, very soon, however, his look became keen and penetrative. A writhing horror twisted itself around his features, like a snake gliding swiftly over them and making one little pause with all its wreathed intervolutions in an open sight. His face darkened with some powerful emotion, which, nevertheless, he so instantaneously controlled by an effort of his will, that, save at a single moment, his expression might have passed for calmness. After a brief space, the convulsion grew almost imperceptible and finally subsided into the depths of his nature. When he found the eyes of Hester Prynne fastened on his own and saw that she appeared to recognize him, he slowly and calmly raised his finger, made a gesture with it in the air, and laid it on his lips. Then, touching the shoulder of a townsman who stood next to him, he addressed him, in a formal and courteous manner i pray you good sir said he who is this woman and wherefore is she here set up to public shame you must needs be a stranger in this region friend answered the townsman looking curiously at the questioner and his savage companion else you would surely have heard of Mistress Hester Prynne and her evil doings. She hath raised a great scandal, I promise you, in godly master Dimmesdale's church. You say truly, replied the other, I am a stranger, I have been a wanderer sorely against my will, I have met with grievous mishaps by sea and land, and have been long held in bonds among the heathen folk to the southward and am now brought hither by this indian to be redeemed out of my captivity will it please you therefore to tell me of hester prince have i her name rightly of this woman's offenses and what has brought her to yonder scaffold truly friend And methinks it must gladden your heart, after your troubles and sojourn in the wilderness, said the townsman, to find yourself at length in a land where iniquity is searched out and punished in the sight of rulers and people. As here in our godly New England, yonder woman, sir, you must know, was the wife of a certain learned man, English by birth, but who had long dwelt in Amsterdam. Went some good time agone, he was minded to come across and cast in his lot with us of the Massachusetts. To this purpose, he sent his wife before him, remaining himself to look after some necessary affairs. Mary, good sir, and some two years or less that the woman has been a dweller here in Boston, no tidings have come of this learned gentleman. Master Prynne and his young wife, look you, being left to her own misguidance. Ah, I conceive you, said the stranger with a bitter smile. So learned a man as you speak of should have learned this too in his books. And who by your favor, sir, may be the father of yonder babe? It is some three or four months old, I should judge, which Mistress Prynne is holding in her arms. Of a truth, friend, that matter remaineth a riddle, and the Daniel who shall expound it is yet unwanting. answered the townsman. Madame Hester absolutely refuseth to speak, and the magistrates have laid their heads together in vain. Peradventure, the guilty one stands looking on at this sad spectacle unknown of man and forgetting that God sees him. The learned man observed the stranger with another smile, should come himself to look into the mystery. It behooves him well if he still if he be still in life, responded the townsman. Now, good sir, our Massachusetts magistrate, bethinking themselves that this woman is youthful and fair, and doubtless was strongly tempted to her fall, and that moreover, as is most likely, her husband may be at the bottom of the sea they have not been bold to put in force the extremity of our righteous law against her. The penalty thereof is death, but in their great mercy and tenderness of heart, they have doomed Mistress Prynne to stand only a space of three hours on the platform of the pillory, and then and thereafter for the remainder of her natural life to wear a mark of Shame upon her bosom. A wise sentence, remarked the stranger, gravely bowing his head. Thus she will be a living sermon against sin until the ignominious letter be engraved upon her tombstone. It irks me, nevertheless, that the partner of her iniquity should not, at least, stand on the scaffold by her side, but he will be known, he will be known, he will be known. He bowed courteously to the communicative townsman, and whispering a few words to his Indian attendant, they both made their way through the crowd. While this passed, Hester Prynne had been standing on her pedestal, still with a fixed gaze towards the stranger so fixed the gaze that, at moments of intense absorption, all other objects in the visible world seemed to vanish, leaving only him and her. Such an interview perhaps would have been more terrible than even to meet him as she now did, with a hot, midday sun burning down upon her face and lighting up its shame, with the scarlet token of infamy on her breast, with the sin-born infant in her arms, with a whole people drawn forth as to a festival, staring at the features that should have been seen only and a quiet gleam of the fireside and the happy shadow of a home, or beneath a matronly veil, a church. Dreadful as it was, she was conscious of a shelter in the presence of these thousand witnesses. It was better to stand thus with so many betwixt him and her than to greet him face to face they two alone. She fled for refuge, as it were, to the public exposure, and dreaded the moment when its protection should be withdrawn from her. Involved in these thoughts, she scarcely heard a voice behind her until it had repeated her name more than once in a loud and solemn tone, audible to the whole multitude. Hearken unto me, Hester Prynne, said the voice. It has already been noticed that directly over the platform on which has the prince stood was a kind of balcony or open gallery. Appended to the meeting house, it was the place whence proclamations were wont to be made amidst an assemblage of the majesty, with all the ceremonial that attended such public observ- observa- observances in those days. Here. To witness the scene which we are describing, said Governor Bellingham himself with four sergeants about his chair, bearing halberts as a guard of honor, he wore a dark feather in his hat, a border of embroidery on his cloak, and a black velvet tunic beneath, a gentleman. Advanced in years, with a hard experience written in his wrinkles, he was not ill-fitted to be the head and representative of a community which owned its origin and progress in its present state of development, not to the impulses of youth, but to the stern and tempered energies of manhood, in the somber sagacity of age, accomplishing so much precisely because it imagined and hoped so little. The other eminent characters by whom the chief ruler was surrounded were distinguished by a dignity of me, belonging to a period when the forms of authority were felt to possess the sacredness of divine institutions they were doubtless good men just and sage but out of the whole human family it would not have been easy to select the same number of wise and virtuous persons who should be less capable of sitting in judgment on an erring woman's heart and disentangling its mesh be less capable Excuse me, and disentangling its mesh of good and evil than the sages of rigid aspect towards whom Hester Prynne now turned her face. She seemed conscious, indeed, that whatever sympathy she might expect lay in the larger and warmer heart of the multitude, for as she lifted her eyes towards the balcony, the unhappy woman. Group held and trembled Paul sprayed The voice which had called her attention was that of the Reverend and famous John Wilson, the eldest clergyman of Boston, a great scholar like most of his contemporaries in the profession and withal a man of kind and genial spirit. This last attribute, however, had been less carefully developed than his intellectual gifts, and was in truth rather a matter of shame than self-congratulation with him. There he stood with a border of grizzled locks beneath his skull cap while his great eyes, accustomed to the shaded light of his study, were winking, like those of Hester's infant in the unadulterated sunshine. He looked like the darkly engraved portraits which we see prefixed to old volumes of sermons and had no more rights than one of those portraits would have. To step forth as he did now and meddle with a question of human guilt, passionate anguish. Hester Prynne," said the clergyman. "I have striven with my young brother here, under whose preaching of the word you have been privileged to sit here." Mister Wilson laid his hand on the shoulder of a pale young man beside him. I have sought, I say, to persuade this godly youth that he should deal with you. Here in the face of heaven and before these wise and upright rulers and in hearing of all the people as touching the vileness and blackness of your sin, knowing your natural temper better than I, he could, the better judge. What arguments to use, whether of tenderness or terror, such as might prevail over your hardness and obstinacy, insomuch that you should no longer hide the name of him who tempted you to this grievous fall, but he opposes to me. With a young man's oversoftness, albeit wise beyond his years that it were wronging the very nature of woman to force her to lay open her heart's secrets in such broad daylight? And in presence of so great a multitude, truly, as I sought to convince him, the shame lay in the commission of the sin, and not in the showing of it forth. What say you to it once again? Brother I must it be thou or I that shall deal with the poor with this poor sinner's soul? There was a murmur among the dignified and reverend occupants of the balcony, and Governor Bellingham gave expression to his purport, speaking in an authoritative voice, although tempered with respect towards the youthful clergyman whom he addressed. "'Good Master Demsdale,' said he, "'the responsibility of this woman's soul "'lies greatly with you. "'It behooves you, therefore, "'to exhort her to repentance and to confession "'as a proof and consequence thereof.'" The directness of this appeal drew the eyes of the whole crowd upon the Reverend Mr. Demsdale, a young clergyman, who had come from one of the great English universities, bringing all the learning of the age into our wild forest land. His eloquence and religious fervor had already given the earnest of high eminence in his profession. He was a person of very striking aspect, with a white, lofty, impending brow, large, brown, melancholy eyes, and a mouth which unless when he forcibly compressed it was apt to be tremulous expressing both nervous sensibility and a vast power of self-restraint notwithstanding his high native gifts and scholar-like attainments there was an air about this young minister an apprehensive a startled a half-frightened look as of a being who felt himself quite astray and at loss in a pathway of human existence, and could only be at ease in some seclusion of his own. Therefore, so as his duties would permit, he trod in a shadowy bypaths, and thus kept himself in childlike coming forth when occasion was with a freshness and fragrance and dewy purity of thought, which, as many people said, affected them like the speech of an angel. Such was the young man whom the Reverend Mr. Wilson and Governor had introduced so openly to the public notice, bidding him speak in the hearing of all men to that mystery of a woman's soul so sacred even in its pollution. The trying nature of his position drove the blood from his cheek and made his lips tremulous. Speak to the woman, my brother, said Mr. Wilson. It is of moment to her soul, and therefore, as the worshipful governor says, momentous to thine own, and whose charge hers is, exhort her to confess the truth. The Reverend Mr. Dimmesdale bent his head in silent prayer, as it seemed, and then came forward. Hester friend, said he leaning over the balcony and looking down steadfastly into her eyes. Thou hearest what this good man says, and seest the accountability under which I labor. If thou feelest it to be for thy soul's peace, and that thy earthly punishment will thereby be made more effectual to salvation, I charge. I thee to speak out thy name of thy fellow sinner and sufferer. Be not silent from any mistaken pity and tenderness for him. For believe me, Hester, though he were to step down from a high place, and stand there beside thee on thy pedestal of shame, yet better were it so than to hide a guilty heart through life, what can thy silence do for him, except it tempt him, ye compel him as it were to add hypocrisy to sin? Heaven hath granted thee an open ignominy, that thereby thou mayest work out an open triumph over the evil within thee, and the sorrow without. Take heed how thou deniest to him, who perchance hath not the courage to grasp it for himself, the bitter but wholesome cup that is now presented to thy lips. The young pastor's voice was tremulously sweet, rich, deep, and broken. The feeling that is so evidently manifested, rather than the direct purport of the words, caused it to vibrate within all hearts and brought the listeners into one accord of sympathy. Even the poor baby at Hester's bosom was affected by the same influence, for it directed its hitherto vacant gaze towards Mr. Dimsdale and held up his little arms with a half-pleased, half plaintive murmur. So powerful seemed the minister's appeal that the people could not believe, but that Hester Prynne would speak out the guilty name, or else that the guilty one himself, in whatever high or lowly place he stood would be drawn forth by an inward and inevitable necessity, and compelled to ascend the scaffold. Hester shook her head. Woman, transgress not beyond the limits of heaven's mercy, cried the Reverend Mr. Wilson more harshly than before. That little babe hath been gifted with their voice to second and confirm the counsel which thou hast heard speak out the name that in thy repentance may avail to take the scarlet letter off thy breast never replied Hester Prynne looking not at Mr. Wilson but into the deep and troubled eyes of the younger clergyman it is too deeply branded, ye cannot take it off, and with it that I might endure his agony as well as mine." "'Speak, woman,' said another voice, coldly and sternly, proceeding from the crowd about the scaffold. "'Speak, and give your child a father. I will not speak,' answered Hester. Turning pale as death, but responding to this voice, which she too surely recognized. And my child must seek a heavenly father. She shall never know in earth. <laughs> she would not speak, murmured Mr. Dimsdale who, leaning over the balcony with his hand upon his heart, had awaited the result of his appeal. He now drew back with a long respiration, wondrous strength and generosity of a woman's heart. She will not speak. Discerning the impracticable state of the poor culprit's mind, the elder clergyman who had carefully prepared himself for the occasion addressed to the multitude a discourse on sin and all its branches but with continual reference to the ignominous letter so forcibly did he dwell upon this symbol for the hour of morn during which his periods were rolling over the people's heads then it assumed a new terrors in their imagination and seemed to derive a scarlet hue from the flames of the infernal pits Hester Prynne, meanwhile, kept her place upon a pedestal of shame. With glazed eyes and an air of weary indifference, she had borne that morning all that nature could endure. And as her temperament was not of the order that escapes from too intense suffering by a swoon, Her spirit could only shelter itself beneath a stony crust of insensibility while the faculties of animal life remained entire. In this state, the voice of the preacher thundered remorselessly but unavailingly upon her ears. The infant, doing the latter portion of her ordeal, pierced the air with its wailings and screams. She strove to hush it, mechanically, but seemed scarcely to sympathize with this trouble with the same hard demeanor she was led back to prison and vanished from the public gaze within its iron-clamped portal it was whispered by those who peered after her that the scarlet letter threw a lurid gleam along the dark passageway of the interior and I am so sorry but the recording cut out on the first part so this is the second part continued Um, thank you you all for continuing to listen Um, as I stated before I'm still working out the kinks but I hope you are enjoying it. Please feel free um, to go back and listen to the first part again. If you would like to um, just, you know, (laughs) keep the continuity. I feel so bad that it cut out. But I forgot this service that I'm using only records up to 30 minutes. And I had like four minutes left. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) But thank you again. And I will see you or I will be reading to you again very, very shortly. Stay tuned for our next episode of Book Palettes. Have a good night.